All right, again, we are in a series about the world after the resurrection called Epilogue, and this is the third and final message in this short series where we are talking about what's different because Jesus raised from the dead. First, we talked about the Holy Spirit, then we talked about the kingdom of God, and today we're going to talk about the scriptures in a message called God's Word Unlocked. Uh, and this highlights that many people come to the scriptures, come to the Bible from a couple of different perspectives. If you were around when we did the paradigm series, we talked about this at the beginning, how, and that's a good one to go back and revisit. That's online in our archive. It's a good one to listen to if you weren't there or uh, want to look at that again. But we talked about at the beginning how people have different approaches towards the Bible. Sometimes people look at the Bible as some kind of moral guide book to look and see, you know, what are the things you should do? What are the things that you shouldn't do. Some people go to it as um, just kind of uh, random inspiration. You know, I'm just going to flip it open and I'm going to read that and then I'm going to try to apply that to my life. Um, but really, it is much more than that. And it's not until the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, that we are able to understand the scriptures in a way that we couldn't before. In fact, it's such a dramatic unveiling of the scriptures that the Apostle Paul, who wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament, often will will describe the message of the scriptures, the gospel message, the story of Jesus, who he is, what he did, what it means for us. He would talk about it as a mystery. And by that, he did not mean that it's mysterious and we can't figure it out and you have to have some secret knowledge. What he meant by that, whenever you see him say that the gospel is a mystery, is that it was, it was not formally understood but now because of Jesus, we are able to understand God's plan for the ages in a way that we couldn't before. It was a mystery that has now been revealed. So I was thinking about how, how could I illustrate this because I'm big on object lessons whenever I can. And it made me think of magic eye posters. How many of you are familiar with magic eye posters? Somebody said, where did this come from? I was like, I'm old. I remember when they came out back in the 90s. So um, I have a couple on the wall there that you can look at if you haven't already. And I even put a small one on your growth guide. So make sure that you have your growth guide. And the one that I have on the growth guide is this one. Now, if you're not familiar with the magic eye uh, kind of poster, what it is, is it's a picture with a, what looks like a repeating design. And it's clear that there's something there. It's a picture of something. So if you look at this one that I gave you as an example in your growth guide, you see some flowers, you see some butterflies, you see some mountains, you see some clouds. And it doesn't take any, anything special to see those things. But the thing that's special about these is that it's a three-dimensional picture, a three-dimensional illusion. And so if you hold it at a certain 
angle or you, you want to look at it straight on and you basically try to look beyond it rather than focusing on the page itself you want to look a little bit beyond it i don't know if this helps you but i was i would hold my hand out and i'd focus on that and then put the poster in front and try to keep my eyes from refocusing on the poster but this one is actually let me see if i can see it again. And another thing that helps is kind of moving it back and forward and again trying to look beyond the paper. This one, I got it, is three deer in a field full of flowers. And so there are flowers and butterflies and the mountains and everything. And it's, it's a 3D picture. And in fact, when you turn, turn it this way, you see the perspective change if you can make your eyes do it. So if you're familiar with it, you probably are able to do it a little bit more easily. And if you know what you're looking for, sometimes it's a little bit easier. And sometimes it might take you 10 or 15 minutes, so you might have to come back to this later in order to figure it out. But, but I thought this is, this is a perfect illustration of the way the scriptures work post-resurrection. Because just like here, I can see a theme. I can see the mountains. I can see the clouds. I can see the flowers. But when my perspective shifts and I see the 3D picture, it's like all of those things are tied together and I get a perspective that I didn't get before. So hopefully if you're watching online, I forgot to bring this up, but you can go ahead and and show that full screen, Dustin, see if people are at home can do it. Uh, you might have to pause the video and kind of move your phone or your computer around. But, but you see in these pictures, there, is, there are identifiable elements and there is a, a, a pattern. But you don't really see the true picture until your eyes click in and you're able to look at it from that perspective. In the same way, in the scriptures, there are all these themes, like a sacrificial lamb, like a, an anointed king, like a suffering servant. And all of those threads, all of those themes are there, and they make sense on their own. I mean, you have some idea of what they're talking about, but it's when you plug in the story, the teaching, the life and work of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, it's like all of those things come together and you see the big picture, the true picture, in a way that you didn't before. That's what happens when you read the Bible from a Jesus centered pers perspective. And so the question that we're really answering today, and you might have not come in here with this as a burning question, but it's an important question. And it's a question that all of us, regardless of, of our religious or non-religious perspective, come, uh, are going to come across. It's how should I read the Bible? Should I read it as just a collection of ancient writings? Should I read it as God's word? What does it mean to read it as God's word? Is it just a a moral guidebook or is it something more 
And what, what we're going to answer is that question. What is the best way? What is the way that the Bible intends for the Bible to be read? So that's what we're going to talk about today. And uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection opens up the window to a whole new way of understanding the scriptures. So if you are new to Cornerstone, welcome. We would love for you to check in. If you're here on site, you've got a card in your growth guide that you can fill in and put in that box before you go. Or you can use our app, search for uh, Church Center in your uh, um, app store and then plug in Cornerstone and you can check in there as well. But we would love to be able to stay in touch with you. And as usual, our question that you can fill in there is how can we pray for you? And we do pray for you during the week if you give us your prayer requests. So really what we're talking about today is interpretation. How do you interpret the Bible? The Bible has a purpose and that purpose, if we read the Bible from that perspective, we will get the Bible, we will understand the Bible, and we will be able to apply the scriptures accurately and correctly from that point on. So here's the bottom line for today, and that is that the point of the Bible is to point us to Jesus. Some of you have heard that before. It's worth repeating. The point of, of the Bible is to point us to Jesus. Where do we get this? Uh, here is a good example where Jesus explicitly states this. Now, why do we care what Jesus said? Well, obviously, if a person is able to do the things that Jesus did, teach the way Jesus did, and, oh, by the way, predict his own resurrection from the dead, and then it happens, then I'm probably going to listen to that guy. So here's what he said about himself and the scriptures. He's talking to the Pharisees who are among the most religious and well-educated of the religious people of his day. And he says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. In other words, you're turning over to the past you're looking in the scriptures because you're trying to figure out how, how do I get into God's family? How do I become a part of God's kingdom? How do I get eternal life? What do I have to do? What do I have to believe? What are the hoops that I have to jump through? And Jesus says, in essence, if you read the Bible that way, you're going to miss the point because the point of the Bible is to point people to Jesus. So he says, but the scriptures point to me. In other words, every theme, every story is leading you somewhere. It's and tying all these themes together and creating the bigger picture is Jesus. So here's here are the things that the scripture is going to help us to do as it points us to Jesus. And I'll come back to these, so don't worry about trying to write them down really quickly. It's number one, going to lead us to acknowledge our sin. Then it's going to lead us to acknowledge our need for a savior. And thirdly, to acknowledge Jesus in particular as God's provision for our salvation. 
And then I'm going to encourage you because we always try to make this very practical. How is this going to impact your life? Well, going forward, I'm going to encourage you to read the Bible, to say yes to Jesus, that's Savior and Lord, but to read the scriptures as uh, as a as is, is intended, looking for how it points us to Jesus. And I'll give you a couple of examples of that in just a second. So main scripture for today, I'm going to read to you just a couple of verses from Romans chapter three. We'll look at those and then we'll also go beyond that as well, kind of pull a lot of these themes together. So this is Romans chapter three, verses 20 to 25, first half of 25. That's what the A means. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is what it says. For no one, and this is the Apostle Paul explaining the gospel to the church at Rome, which he had never visited and did not found, but he's, he's explaining the gospel as he understands it and teaches it to them. For, the, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law of the law as was promised in the law in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who they are. Verse 23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that you have given us insight and understanding. And I pray, Lord, that just as it, uh, something clicks when you see those magic eye pictures for the first time, that something will click with us spiritually, that you will give us eyes to see ears to hear what you are saying to us through the scripture. Help us to focus on Jesus and help us to focus our message for the world on Jesus, who is your provision for our sin, your provision for our salvation, redemption, and eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would speak to every single person listening, watching here today that each one of them will hear exactly what they need to hear from you and know exactly what they need to do with what they've heard today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what's the point of the Bible? The point of the Bible is to point people to Jesus. And the first thing that he does, that the first thing that the scriptures do is help us to acknowledge our sin, acknowledge our sin. The way that that passage that I just read started out was like this. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Now, right there, we have completely overturned the way a lot of people look at the Bible. 
They look at the Bible as a guidebook, a rule book, or the how, what do I need to do? What are the things I need to do in order to get in with God? It's not a rule book. And what the apostle Paul here states very dramatically is that no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures, which for him, they're writing the New Testament. They don't have the New Testament yet. These were the scriptures. And he's saying, this is not a rule book that you do these things and then you're okay with God. That's never going to happen. Why? Why doesn't that work? He goes on to say, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law is not, uh, the, the, the rules, guidelines, the principles there, are, their, their purpose is not to show you the path, the steps, the things that you must do in order to be in with God. It actually is supposed to show you where you fall short. Now, that seems like an odd thing to do, right? I mean, the, to point out your failures, but, but we're going somewhere with this. He goes a little bit later, a couple of chapters later, and expounds on this idea in Romans chapter 7. He says, it was the law that showed me my sin. He's echoing that same thought. What the law does is shows me how sinful I am. Then he gives a specific example, one from the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. Now, covet is wanting something that belongs to somebody else and wanting that for yourself. And so by defining that and saying that's not right, then it allows you to identify it in yourself, right? So if that person has a nicer house, a nicer car, uh, better relationships, whatever the case may be, and you say, I wish I had that instead of them. Then the law is pointing to that and saying, that's covetousness. That's, that's not right. That's, that's going to lead to a bad outcome. That is not right. It helps you to identify it. And then you recognize, oh man, I've done that. <laughs> that's happened before. I can relate to that. And so you recognize there's something broken in me. There's something wrong inside of me. Now, this idea of using the Bible as a rule book with steps to get in with God is not, oh, there goes the eye. Okay. Uh, that was on the floor when we came in and we knew that that was probably going to happen again. Um, all right, back on track. Uh, yeah. So, this is not a new problem with people trying to use the Bible as a rule book to get in with God. So in Jesus' time, contemporaries were doing the same thing, and he was trying to redirect them because he wanted them to acknowledge their sin. Because what people would do is they would look at those things and they would say, oh, I used to do that, but I don't do that anymore. Or I, I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do that. I must be good. I'm a good person. I, I try hard. You know, none of us are perfect, but, but, but I'm doing pretty well. And so 
I, I just see Jesus, you know, probably he didn't do this, but I can just see him kind of like, no, no, you're missing the point. Uh, you know, and what he does is he gives a whole sermon where he's basically getting people to understand the point was not for you to try harder and to justify yourself and make yourself look good by pointing out all the things that you don't do. The point of the law was for you to recognize or acknowledge your own sinfulness and say, I've blown it. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. I've crossed the line. So I'll give you an example of that in Matthew chapter five, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and this pattern is repeated uh, over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, I say to you. You've heard it said, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. That's another one of the Big Ten. Do not commit murder. Very few people would argue with that. And many people would justify. Have you ever heard somebody, well, I'm not, I'm not an axe murderer, or at least he's not an axe murderer. You know, he, what are they saying? They're saying, I might be bad. I might have my faults, but at least I'm not that bad. And if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I, Jesus, say to you, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. What was, if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. He says, if you are angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Well, what exactly do you mean? I mean, and if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Uh-oh. What is, what is Jesus doing? And he does the same thing with adultery. He, uh, he's saying, you've, you've justified yourself by saying, well, I didn't cross that line. And what Jesus does is show that that line is actually a lot closer to you. Actually, it's back there somewhere. <laughs> you left, you crossed that line a long way, a long time ago. You are guilty. To me, that's the main point of the whole Sermon on the Mount is people who felt like they were doing pretty well and Jesus is showing them, no, you need to acknowledge your sin because it's not just an outward problem, it's an inward problem. It's a problem of the heart. Now that can be kind of depressing. Why? Would, why would the scriptures want us to all feel bad, basically, you know, and to say, I've blown it. I've, I've, I've messed up. I've crossed the line. Well, because that's not the end of the story. The point of the Bible is to point us to Jesus. And when we acknowledge our sin, then the next step is to acknowledge our need for a savior. If God is going to send someone as the savior of the world and you don't think you need saving, you don't care. You, you don't need a life ring if you're not in the ocean about to drown. You don't care if there's a ton of life rings because you don't think you need it. And so what the Bible is doing is helping us to acknowledge our sin. Why? Because it wants us to, uh, uh, the, the Lord is trying to help us to recognize our true situation. We are sinners in need of a savior. We are in the water and going down. We need that life ring. And that is why 
it leads us to, the scriptures lead us to acknowledge our need for a savior. Last week, and let me kind of tie all these things together. Last week, we talked about the kingdom of God, and I gave you this outline. If you haven't listened to that message, if this looks like craziness to you, go back and listen to it. But basically, this is a timeline of all, of, of everything. It starts with creation. It ends with the establishment of God's eternal kingdom, a new heaven, and a new earth. Now, what is happening here is God creates everything. It's all good. We, we blow it. Our first parents blew it. And then God continues to intervene and we continue to blow it. And then he sends a savior and the X becomes a check mark. Well, that ties into the first theme, the Holy Spirit. What, what's different about us so that we're not constantly blowing it all the time? He gives us new life, puts his power, his presence within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We don't get it always right, but something new has changed and he's writing a new into our story and setting us on a new trajectory for our life. This is what is described in the scriptures. So Romans 8, 3, a little bit later in that same book that we read from, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. In other words, as it points out, this is right, this is wrong, you recognize your your wrongness, it's, it's hopeless for you just to try harder because there's something broken within you. Those are those X's. You need something new within you. That's the person and power and presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. This way the Apostle Paul describes it. So God did what the law could not do. What could the law not do? Well, it can point out you're wrong, but it can't change you from a wrong person into a right person. It can just point out where you are going wrong. You need something more to change in the inside. So he goes on. How did God do that? He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. So he took his son who did no wrong, therefore did not deserve the death and judgment of the cross, but went there on our behalf then we receive, because of that, forgiveness, and we receive, as a consequence, as a benefit of that, God's presence in the Holy Spirit. He changes us from the inside out. So, back to the passage that we read earlier. Now this will make a little bit more sense. God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Is it, it, would it be great if you followed the requirements of the law? Yeah, that would be awesome. That would be a good thing. But, but that's never going to happen. So we need a way to get back to God that doesn't depend upon us and our performance. So he says, that's what's happened. God has shown us a way. But... It's even though we can't keep the law, the law testified to this. It was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. What is, what is he saying there? The Moses and prophets talking about the scriptures saying the law is there, shows us where you go wrong, but it also hints at, it also prepares you for the savior that is coming. And now because Jesus has come, we understand, we can see 
the big picture we can see with new eyes. And that's what happens at the end. We are made right with God into this passage. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. He's dealing primarily with the distinction between the religious people of his day, the, the Jews, and the Gentiles who had their own religions and were in a different category. He's saying it doesn't matter if you were a Jew or a Gentile, if you grew up in the church or you grew up in a pagan land, it doesn't matter that we all get in the same way through faith in Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So the point of the Bible is to point us to Jesus. It, number one, helps us to acknowledge our sin by pointing out where we go wrong. But it doesn't stop there. It's supposed to help you recognize that you need a Savior to acknowledge a need for the Savior. And then, having prepared you for that, to point you directly to Jesus so that you will acknowledge Jesus as God's provision for our salvation. He says again, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus, true for everyone, no matter who you are. So that's why Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but that's not the point. The point of the scriptures is to point you to me. It points out your sin, and therefore you're supposed to draw the conclusion that you need a savior. And then it's supposed to say, ta-da, Jesus is that savior. He's the one that you're looking for. He's the one that ties it all together. And this is exactly what Jesus did. After his resurrection, he begins to show up alive to his disciples. And one of the things that he did over and over again was he would show them how to read the scriptures with a new set of eyes, to see the 3D picture of himself in the scriptures. Here's an example from Luke chapter 24. We've been looking at this passage here. They've been looking at it in the children's ministry. It says, then Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, again, talking about the Old Testament scriptures, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then he goes on, same chapter. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you about everything written about me in the law and Moses and prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. Now you might be saying, well, tell me the, the chapter and verse on that. That would be like me holding up, uh, you holding up this pack picture and say, show, show me the three deer. Uh, like the, this isn't really, when you look at it this way, a picture of the three deer. But when you look at it through those new eyes, then you see how it comes alive and you see that the picture was there all along. You just didn't have the eyes to see it. And post-resurrection, this is what Jesus does. He says, remember, remember this passage in Isaiah that talked about the suffering servant? Remember this passage over here that talked about how the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem? Remember the Passover and how God provided a lamb and rescued his people out of slavery? All those themes are there, and they're painting the bigger picture of what you, my followers, my disciples, my friends have experienced in our time together. It's all about me. 
and it's designed to lead you to that. He goes on, it was written that the message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. In other words, it wasn't a Jewish thing. It was for the whole world. And how did he summarize it? There's forgiveness of sins for all who repent because of Jesus. So if you want to read the Bible with understanding, read it as it was intended to be read and understood, then you are going to read it with the idea that the whole of scripture is a unified story that points people to Jesus. You will first acknowledge your sin, not just try harder, not say, oh, I won't do that again. It's supposed to help you recognize that you are a sinner in need of a savior. And then to recognize that God's provision for your forgiveness, for your salvation, for your story is Jesus. So I'm going to ask you, as you read the scriptures, and you are reading the scriptures, right? I put, I think in the, the growth guide, I put, again, the links to uh, the life journaling process. Yeah, that's still there from last week. Life journaling is a process that we encourage you to do that gets you in the scriptures, reading and responding to God's word. So follow those links, get yourself a notebook and start doing that. But as you're reading, read the Bible looking for how it points to Jesus. And once you do that, once you get that big picture, once you've seen the 3D picture, then you'll be able to see how all of those points are pulled together in Jesus. As I was preparing this, and I'll give you just this as a practical example as we bring it to a close today. As I was preparing this message, I was doing my Bible reading and, and, and doing my life journaling, and so I printed out one of my entries from this week because when I started reminding myself of this, it's just like every scripture pops with Jesus. And you see that Jesus taught his disciples how to read the Bible this way. I mean, especially post-resurrection, but even pre-resurrection, which is what this passage is. And so this is from John chapter 6, and I've titled it, This is the Bread that Comes Down from Heaven. That's a quote from that passage. So in this passage, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, no one can come to me unless they're drawn by the Father who sent me. I'll raise that person up on the last day. And then he says, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Now, this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 54, and it's, uh, it's a prophecy about when the God's people return to their nation after being exiled. It says there's going to be this new age opening up, and it'll be as if God himself is teaching his people. And then Jesus takes that and applies it to himself. It's like God has come down in, my, in the person of Jesus, and he's leading and teaching you. So this idea that God will teach his people, this is coming true for you in me. Now, notice what he did. He took a theme and a concrete experience in the life of his people and 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 kind of infused it with new and deeper meaning. It's just like these pictures. Yeah, I can see some sunflowers and I can see that kind of looks like a deer's head there and I see some clouds, but it's not until you look at it from the context of Jesus 
that it pops. And you see how it all ties together to be a bigger picture. Then he goes on to say, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. He's talking about the Exodus and how God provided supernaturally for their provision, for their food. And he said, but yet they died. This is the bread, talking about himself, that comes down from heaven so that you may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What's he doing? He's saying, yeah, you know the stories. You know how your people were, were, were wandering in the wilderness, but God provided for them. He made a way so that they wouldn't starve to death. He sent manna from heaven. Now, something even more amazing is happening. It's like that 2D picture is becoming 3D. It's like God has sent down a new bread from heaven. And Jesus says, I am that bread. Your ancestors ate manna, supernatural food provided by God, and yet they still died. But if you eat this bread, this bread that comes down from heaven, you will never die. You will never die. And he says, and oh, by the way, my body is going to be that sacrificial bread for you. Next week, when we gather together, we're going to celebrate communion. And we're going to reenact this whole thing, tie all of these themes together in Jesus when we celebrate communion. Because he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is given for you. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. This bread is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then we will eat the bread and we will drink the cup. We will accept God's provision for our life. And he who eats this bread and drinks this blood will never die. The whole point Everything in the scriptures is to point you to Jesus. Read the scriptures from that perspective and then take that next step of accepting Jesus, his provision, God's provision for your salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. <laughs> it's, such, it's such a beautiful picture to see how you took all of these different experiences written down by different writers over thousands of years, and yet we see your handiwork as you wove them together into the story of the scriptures, and that that picture is the picture of Jesus. Lord, there's so much freedom in understanding this this way, because otherwise we're always trying to convince ourselves that we're not as bad as we think we are, not as bad as our actions show us that we are. Always trying to convince ourselves and others and you that, that we're good enough to be counted worthy. And this just wipes that pretense all away. And we can be free to be honest with ourselves and others and you. We've blown it. We're sinners. We don't even live up to our own standards. How could we even imagine that we live up to yours? And yet, in that 
hopelessly, hopeless seeming estate, we come to you only to find that you understood it, that you've been saying, yes, you finally get it. Now, accept my provision for your salvation, for your forgiveness, for your freedom. So Lord, I pray that if there's anyone watching, listening here today that has not yet understood this and now is perhaps understanding it uh, for the first time, seeing that big picture that points to you, that they would say yes to you, that they want what you did on the cross to count for them so that their sins might be forgiven, that you want to lead and guide and direct them from this point on. I pray that they would surrender their lives to you. You can do that in the quietness of your heart by just saying, yes, Lord, yes, I want to be forgiven. Yes, I want your leadership in my life. And Lord, for those of us that have already crossed that line of faith, help us to never try to justify ourselves, but always to depend upon you. Never try to earn our way as if this is some kind of car that you made a down payment on and we have to keep up the payments. That's not the way it works. You bought the whole car. You gave us eternal life. We have the whole thing. So help us to constantly acknowledge that and acknowledge that you bought us with a price and that we belong to you and all our days belong to you as well as a consequence. Lord, Help us to be clear on this message so that we can share it with others. Help each of us to recognize what, how this applies to our lives and what we need to do as a consequence. We thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us in our lost and broken condition, but that you provided salvation in Jesus. Thank you. We pray in his name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great week.